Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey everyone, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. I'm joined here in the studio today with Rob Pegararo, a freelance tech journalist. Hello. Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Good to be here. Appreciate it. So on today's show, we want to talk to Rob about um, the places he writes for, uh, his favorite stories, his beat, um, learn a little bit more about him. So let's go ahead and jump on in. Ask away. Cool. So Rob, let's go ahead and start just with some of your background. I know you've been covering tech for about 20 years. Right? Uh, a little longer than that. A little that. longer? Okay. So let's <laughs> it go depends on when you <laughs> define that start. Got it. Well, give us some background on how you started and how you got into journalism. So, yeah, I got into journalism uh, basically in college at Georgetown. I, mm-hmm. I like to say I uh, minored in the college newspaper, one of the two papers on campus, the Georgetown Voice. And by junior year, I was spending 20 or 30 hours a week there, which, okay. while not getting credit or getting paid, which means I'm easily wow. exploited, but also means hey, I must actually like this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the first job I had out of college was what you would expect for someone who went to the School of Foreign Service. I was an editorial assistant intern at Foreign Policy Magazine. Okay. So at the time, it was published by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. So it was fact-checking and editing really long, dry, 6,000-word pieces about what should be done in one area or another. Uh, that internship, internship ended, and in quasi desperation, I... Uh, took on a part-time job as a copy aide in the Washington Post newsroom. Mm-hmm. Copy aide is the gender-inclusive term for copy boy. <laughs> so I was uh, sorting mail, delivering faxes on the really good days. I could answer the phone and okay. uh, hear what kind of wackos called the National Desk on a Sunday. Not, not good ones. Okay. And what my break was, the summer of like 94, they decided that they needed to have more coverage of the online world. This, this AOL thing, oh, CompuServe, yeah. Prodigy. And the paper had four people who really knew this stuff, like John Schwartz, who's now at the New York Times, right. Vicki Shannon. They all had full-time beats. So when the style section said, hey, we want people to write you know, short little vignettes about interesting things seen online, I said, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was at the same time that the weekend section launched a sort of monthly guide to tech called Fast Forward. If any of your listeners have print copies of that magazine, they might be worth something now. And that was uh, how things got rolling. And I was stay at the Post until 2011. Been freelancing full time ever since. Wow, that's definitely a long time, and it's interesting how you kind of got your foot in the door there, also in the beginning. Yeah, not necessarily a, a, an easily a model you could easily replicate, but yeah, no. it, it worked hey, at the it time. It works out. So, where are you writing for now, primarily? I know USA Today and uh, Yahoo Tech are some of your big places that you're yeah. writing for now. Yeah, uh, Yahoo Finance, to be exact. Yahoo Finance Tech Finance is, was the separate site Yahoo launched when they poached David Pogue away from the New York Times. Okay. And uh, David sent me a very flattering email saying, How'd you like to uh, write for us? And then the Yahoo merged Yahoo Tech into Yahoo Finance, mm-hmm. which is right. a business news site that's been around forever. So, I've had to get in the habit of adding stock ticker symbols when I mm-hmm. mention a company there. Uh, but writing for USA Today, that's my longest climb. I've been writing there since 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, there's about three or four guides I maintain at uh, Wirecutter, the New York Times on Gadget Review site. And then it's who else can I sell a story to? Like over the past month, I've done, did a post from Google I.O. for Consumer Reports. Uh, I wrote a long feature about a panel on Internet of Things security for a security news site called The Parallax. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
uh, filed a few pieces of various trade publications. We'll, we'll see you like in uh, yeah. Bill so out to next um, month. Why the freelance route? I sort of that's another case where <laughs> I sort of stumbled into it. Yeah. I left the post because the post in the uh, pre-Bezos money mm -hmm. years decided it did not need a personal technology columnist. It sounds a little crazy, but you know, okay. a whole lot of other people have left the, the building before I did. Mm -hmm. So you, you start saying, well, they can't do this to me. They have no one left. They, they did. They could and they did. What I discovered then was a good way to get started as a freelancer is write a technology column for a major American newspaper for 11 years and then leave when no one expects it. So I had a bunch of offers come to me. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I try this? See how it works out. So now it's seven years and uh, you know dozens of 1099 tax forms later. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Jeez. And I decided I like it. You know, there, there's a certain amount of uncertainty, but it's the news business. That, that's true no matter what. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that I've always had some set of core clients, anchor clients, that mm -hmm. I know I'm going to make, you know, at least this much money a month, and then I can go out and hopefully sell a little more money, mm -hmm. little, sell a few more stories, make a little more money. Uh, find interesting angles to scratch. You can define your own beat much better as a freelancer. And the nice thing is if, if an editor wants you to jump on a breaking news story, they have to pay you extra for it. It's not like if you're on staff, right. you will so write that own. third story per day because that's hmm. what you're there for. Interesting. Okay. So what types of articles do you primarily write? So our listeners get a little bit more information yeah. on that. And it's more a, personal consumer type. A lot of it is just sort of explaining why things work or, or why they don't work. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Smartphones, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, well, Facebook privacy, that's something I've been writing about a lot. I mean, over the last 10 years, but certainly the last few months as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at things like uh, the state of competition for Internet access, there's never enough. TV is moving from cable and satellite to internet delivery. Where, mm -hmm. So now we are getting much more competition than we used to have. Right. And then also, I was reading one of your articles on uh, like technology and cars also. I feel like that's another kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cars are, um, you know, compared to what they were like when I grew up, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a long way from my dad's old uh, Chevette. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I know we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but um, let's talk about one of your favorite stories that you've written recently. Okay, so the, I'll actually sort of throw out two. One of them is not so recently, but it was just fun to write. When, sure. when Twitter was becoming a thing, I decided that you know I should introduce Washington Post readers to the topic, and I thought I will write this this column as a series of 140 characters or less paragraphs, except for one. Oh, I like that. And there was one that was written to be exactly 140 characters, and my editor at the time, she, she got the concept, mm -hmm. and she sent it to the copy desk with a note basically saying, this is written according to a very exacting format, so basically just don't edit it. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun, and, and I think it sort of clicked. And The article was about Twitter when it first came out? Yes, That's yeah, so basically cool. explaining what it was. I mean, it was, it was so long ago, I was explaining the concept of, like, the status update culture. I think I referenced right. MySpace in it as well. Uh-huh, mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, a lot of fun to sort of play with the medium and the, the structure mm -hmm. of it instead of just writing paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. Yeah. So more recently, uh, in February, I, on rather short notice, uh, flew down to Florida to see the launch of the SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket, mm -hmm. which I mentioned as a freelancer, you can sort of pick your own uh, subject areas. This was a case where I had the unfair advantage of knowing the guy who headed up SpaceX's PR, who I'd known okay. since he was doing PR for Sprint like 15 years ago, a long time yeah. ago. So he was like, you're past the deadline, but I'll make sure you get credentialed. And, you know, it's 
Orlando is a pretty cheap place to travel to yeah. at the right time. That's true. So I was able, with two days' notice, book a 6 a.m. flight on Southwest to Orlando for the National Airport for $50. Whoa, that cheap? <laughs> right. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the flight on the way back was a little more expensive, but the whole thing came together very well. And, you know, the only thing that's terrible about a rocket launch is the seeing a rocket launch is the certainty that the rest of your day will not be as awesome. That's true. Yeah, it sets a pretty high bar first thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I find I, I really enjoy the opportunity to, to sort of relate what it felt like the the noise the, mm -hmm. the brightness of just feeling it in your chest mm -hmm. it's uh, awesome. everyone should see a rocket launch at some point yeah hopefully with a little one, more planning than uh, yeah yeah well wallops yeah. island virginia not that that's far that's true that's true um cool so i want to talk a little bit about some of the big topics in tech today yeah so from your perspective what are some of those Privacy, we talked about as a big so, yeah, one. Privacy, we were recording this the day before the general data protection regulation mm -hmm. goes into effect in the EU, which, yeah. of course, is... Everyone is talking about that. Big news. GDPR. Mm -hmm. Who would have known a 55,000-word <laughs> uh, bundle of regulations would be such a hot talking point? Yeah. But now, privacy and security in general, I think the last five years have been a case of us realizing how much we hadn't considered about considered these things before. I mean, when I reviewed Windows XP for the Post in 2001... What word did not appear anywhere in this review? Security. When we then found out XP was this horrifically insecure system and Microsoft had to sort of ship the equivalent of a new version of Windows as a service pack to make it less of a uh, garbage fire of security holes. Um, so we sort of realized that this is something we should be paying more attention to. Privacy in the same way, uh, you know, I'm almost afraid to look at some of the things I first wrote about Facebook because Clearly, you know, I don't think I wrote any comment about how great Facebook apps were and everyone should install a lot of them. Right. But I was not, I don't think I, I warned readers that, hey, you know, if your friends install these apps, they can start funneling your data to these apps, which is what happened with Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. We didn't know it at the time, now we do. Mm -hmm. And so it's a question of, okay, what else is out there? Yeah, so you're sort of writing more also now on like how, what people should do in light of these issues. Yeah, right. yeah, and what companies should do as well, and you know, is is there? It's interesting. A lot of people who are very involved in information security are like, the free market will not fix this. I, I moderated this panel at this conference uh, last week in Toronto, where Bruce Schneier is one of the smartest yeah. people in security. He said, the market doesn't fix it because when it comes time to purchase something in a store, the buyer doesn't care and the seller knows that. So you're going to need regulation the same way we have that for transportation and a lot of other areas. Yeah, I think it's, we were talking today um, here in our office. I think all of us have been getting emails constantly today and this whole week updating privacy policies. It's all yep. about that transparency, like knowing where your data is going. We're, right. You know, everyone's getting an onslaught of emails about that. So what are some um, things to look out for or expect more from tech through the rest of the year, throughout the rest of 2018? So uh, I think we'll, we'll have a lot more news about privacy and security. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, GDPR, the way it basically it makes everything into an opt-in to, to really oversimplify it. So the traditional business model of give the customer something for free by collecting their data and don't really tell the customer what they're doing with the data, that you can't do that in the EU. You have to actually say we're going. We need this data to do this, to do this. Mm -hmm. and you can't. You can't pivot and put that data to a new use without getting a second, you know, round of consent. Mm -hmm. So they could open up new business models. Um, where I'm looking for online advertising is a real mess. Like there's there's so many bad actors in the ecosystem. 
you know, not just ads that are, you know, tacky or noisy, but ones that actually try to hijack your browser. Right. The ad industry has got to clean this up. Like, I, I can't tell readers, no, you shouldn't use an ad blocker because, look, it's self-defense. Ad blockers won't fix that, right? Like it's well, they, they sort of will, but it's a huge collateral damage. Yeah. And, you know, not every publication is going to get people to pay for a subscription. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's a business model problem for my business as well. Okay. That's an interesting point. So you expect that to kind of, you know, surface a little bit more throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we'll see any solutions to it, but... You know, there will be more news. It won't all be good, uh-huh. I guess is the way I, I put it. I recall some news about that a few years ago, actually, I think, like, around malvertising and yeah. a lot of that, those types of stories a few years ago. It's interesting to think that it may kind of come up. Yeah, and, and we still haven't fixed we it. We still haven't so. fixed it. That's the case in a lot of these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> so back to the GDPR topic, what do you think is one of the most surprising things about conversations today? I know, you know, we've talked to several journalists about it. It's kind of been a hot topic, right? And People compare it to um, to Y two K, right? Like everyone's worried that something's going to happen, like the day that it happens. Well, no one is pretty sure we're going to go back to the Stone Age. Of, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you know, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> cooking with fire in the backyard. Anything uh, that surprises you about the conversations? Yeah. Yes, uh, the big thing. Watching Mark Zuckerberg getting grilled on Congress, right? You figure you get some tough questions, but then to see people saying, "Should we have something like the GDPR?" Seeing Republicans ask that, mm-hmm. that is crazy. And also, I, I bet a lot of the people asking questions like that six months before, or I guess last year, had voted to to terminate the pending FCC rules, you know, providing for broadband privacy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, now you care about this? Well, I'm, I'm glad to see your, you know, newly found concern. Mm-hmm. Could have used it a year ago, but... So I know that we, uh, we follow you on Twitter, and we were looking at it recently, and you have um, very entertaining tweets. We enjoy reading them. I, I try to find the humor in this industry because if you don't, it's just going to drive you crazy. So what is your Twitter strategy? I don't know. Uh, generally, I've always used it as sort of a public notebook. Like mm-hmm. here's something I found. Um, if I see something that's funny or amusing or an interesting quote, um, sometimes I am just sort of asking for information. I'm pointing people to an interesting story somebody else wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it, like what did I tweet today? The last thing I tweeted was... Apple Maps is so terrible. So I was, a friend of mine, as I speak this, he's on his way to Beijing for the first time. And I haven't been there in a long time, but I was like, I I should send him a few basic tips. And I'm like, let me see how how Apple Maps covers this. So Beijing, if you haven't been there, there's a couple of huge lakes right in the center of the city. They don't appear on Apple Maps. Like, it it, it doesn't even show one of these parks. Like, this is the capital city, (laughs) the most populated nation on Earth. You can... (laughs) How can you screw this up, Apple? Come on. Uh, and so I you know, tweeted a screenshot of that compared to Google Maps, which has all the stuff correct, which is funny because you, know, you really can't use Google Maps in China unless you sure. VPN. So the, the company that's doing it right, the, you know, it's of limited utility that people would actually be there. So I'm like, this This is so dumb. I have to, and that, <laughs> that is freedom. And I was also amused that Google Maps doesn't seem to support the uh, split-screen multitasking in iOS, which has been around for a while, and I think Google has enough resources to update mm-hmm. their, their apps. Yeah, I know. You're, so you're pretty in the loop on all these things since you're writing for that type of audience that cares about these things, right? <laughs> yeah, I try to. You know, there's so much going on. There, there's certain areas where, you know, don't ask me to get too in the weeds uh-huh. about, like, enterprise That's software. Stuff. Right, enterprise software. Um, what do you think are some of the hottest companies to watch today? So, I don't know. There, there, there's so much of it is, you know, the 
the big four or five or whatever, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook. You know, I'm interested, Microsoft fascinates me because, you know, now it's 20 years since the Microsoft antitrust case. Such a different company. And, you know, their products are a lot better. I went to this uh, panel discussion on on the uh, Rayburn House Office Building Tuesday featuring four of the uh, hackers from uh, a group called Loft Heavy Industries that had in the first ever oh, cybersecurity yeah. hearing yeah, in 1998. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so they, they showed up, you know, Space unlike Rogue. Space Grove, yeah. Mudge, Kingpin, Wild Pond. Uh, unlike 20 years ago, they didn't all have long hair. They were, you know, not dressed in borrowed suits. And the, the two of them went out of their way to say, you know, Windows 10 is much better. It's not at all like Windows 7 or XP or Vista. Uh, Microsoft itself, you know, they've done interesting things with the desktop operating system. They've said, you know, touch touchscreen interaction is a reality. So, like, I have a Windows laptop as my primary, you know, computer to use on the road, which is not something I guess I would have thought of doing three years ago. Right. But here we are. Cool. Um, uh, outside of that, you know, there, there's lots of smaller companies that, you know, DuckDuckGo, the, the search engine mm-hmm. that they do no user tracking, they're interesting to me because they're trying to make privacy part of their business model, and they're only going against the most powerful search engine company in the world yeah. <laughs> so Tough competition. yeah like that they're based in philly so at some point i've got to take the train up there and uh, mm-hmm. go sit down with their ceo and quiz them about all this stuff mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency you know that's a big one i saw a few <sighs> articles you wrote on that too <laughs> yeah if i one thing i don't need anymore this week is pitches about how cryptocurrency oh, or the blockchain will will solve everything we won't do that we won't do uh, that. yeah so <laughs> cryptocurrency to me seems to solve a problem that most people don't have you know, the payment system we have works pretty well. The U.S. dollar is a very effective currency, although we'll, we'll see what the president can do with it <laughs> due to its value in another, over the next two years. Uh, you know, yeah, I get it. There are use cases like transferring funds internationally. But other than that, normal people don't have problems that mm-hmm. cryptocurrency solves. The extreme variability of it is crazy. Uh, the idea that, like, that doesn't make for a stable payment system. It's something can go up and down in value like that. That's, like that fast. That's, mm-hmm. that's what, like, banana republic currencies do. Uh, and, and the fact that people are treating it as a get-rich-quick get scheme is concerning. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it requires so much electricity to mine yeah. cryptocurrencies. Now, blockchain technology can do useful things, but, you know, we know how to use non-distributed ledgers. So having a distributed ledger, like, I am fundamentally not of the this is going to change the world school of thinking on that mm-hmm. and, and there's so much froth and you know ICOs where you can stage you know an initial public offering with the cryptocurrency you just came up with yeah there's a lot of crazy. people who are going to get ripped off and there's so many different types of cryptocurrency too and yeah. I remember it was when it went up that first time from like November through January I think of last year it became this like household name where you go to like Christmas and Thanksgiving like your family's talking about it it's not like actually I escaped that cryptocurrency discussion yeah. okay, unfortunately <laughs> but it's interesting how it becomes you know it's outside of that enterprise security kind of thing and it becomes something that's on the news that people are talking about yeah. that know nothing about this type of yeah. information and, and there, there is some good and useful work you know I've gone to a couple of conferences about there was one at Georgetown mm-hmm. I guess maybe five months ago interesting stuff happening but, you know, the, the future of this field had better not be the uh, programmers in the Bay Area driving around in their uh, Lamborghinis mm-hmm. bragging about how awesome it is. They're probably cheating on their taxes, too, and not declaring their 
cryptocurrency capital gains because uh, that, no, don't like how that's going at all. Mm-hmm. So let's get to know you a little bit more as a journalist. I know we talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but um, in your opinion, what's the key to maintaining um, good relationships with your resources? Um, like for... People that you go to often for, you know, for stories, oh, that kind of my thing. sources, yeah. yeah. Your sources. Uh, basically, like, just don't forget to email. Don't forget to call mm-hmm. or whatever. Stay in touch because yeah. it's dumb to sort of let those ties go dim and only hit up somebody when you actually need their input on a story. That's a good point. So, you know, I, I try to do that by, because I work from home, I have a strong motivation to, like, leave the house when I can when there is some networking event. That's a good idea, yeah. Uh, you know, or like a conference or whatever. I know you come to our Cyber Tacos event sometimes, right. too. Exactly. So. Yep. I like tacos. <laughs> <laughs> we have great networking events. Um, and then also, in your articles, is there usually one kind of key, uh, key takeaway that you're looking to deliver to your audience, like a lesson? Or, uh, you know, I guess, like, should you care? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what, what is, is this actually, you know, of meaning beyond, you know, there's, there's a lot of hype behind it or, or mm-hmm. buzz at the moment. Does it really matter? Yeah. That's a good point. That's important. Yeah, is this worth <laughs> your money or, or your time or your privacy, whatever yeah. the currency in which you're paying for it i like that and then um are there any conferences or events that you're looking to attend this year that you get a lot of benefit from yeah so the the downside of being a freelancer is you know i have to pay my own way for most of these things unless i'm speaking on a panel somewhere and the occasional organizer will pick up travel costs which is nice uh so yeah what what's once i've gone to so far like the one i just went to uh, RightsCon in toronto was put on by this group access now that works on a lot of digital civil liberties issues Really good program, very well done. They gave me a couple of panels to moderate, which was a lot of fun. Met a lot of interesting people who will be good sources when I'm next time writing about things like uh, privacy, mm-hmm. encryption, um, you know, digital security issues of various sorts. Uh, you know, a good conference leads you to broaden your source pool, so you're not just talking to the same bunch That's of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it. it Help that I somehow never been to Toronto before. Toronto's awesome. It like, is, yeah. Listeners, I've been there a few go times. to Canada's largest city sometime. I strongly recommend it. And you know, it's only a I went to a hour and a half Blue flight. Jays game there one time. Uh, yeah. You know, if, uh, one conference that I went to in May or sorry, April, Collision, mm-hmm. which has been in New Orleans for the last few years, it's put on by the people who do Web Summit, it is moving to Toronto in part apparently because uh, they had some foreign speakers who couldn't get visas from the U.S. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so okay. we're, it's this whole, we're making the country better by <laughs> not being walking to the rest of the world. So I'm very stoked that I'll be able to go back there okay. next May, and hopefully the cool. Jays will be in town, and I can cross that ballpark off my list. Yeah. Wait, so do you go to a lot of ballparks? Is that... You know, I try to when I'm, like, I'll be in San Diego for a cousin's wedding uh, coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the first night I've done going on. Potters are in town, so I think we'll go to Petco Park, check it out. So you're a Nats fan, is that yes. right? Okay, yes. the, I think we figured that out. Rather, <laughs> I won't say long-suffering, but, you know, I have been in the, the stands for each of the home games that ended our postseasons uh, when we've been in them. Okay. Or at least the last postseason game. There Got were a couple it. times we, we wound up losing game five or game four on the road. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's a character-building exercise. <laughs> character-building, D.C. sports. Yes. Um, do you go to a lot of games during the summer? Uh, so my wife and I have been on a 20-game season ticket plan Ooh, I like that. with a bunch of friends since 2005. So we were actually in the stands for the first game at RFK and the last mm-hmm. game at RFK and the first game at Nats Park. So we, we've Very seen nice. a lot of bad baseball, the the 100-loss uh, years. And it's a pretty good, pretty good games, too. Cool. 
I'm going on July 2nd because I'm a New England person. I was born in New England, so I'm right. seeing the Red Sox when they come on July 2nd. Well, you know, uh, the Red Sox are certainly my favorite team in the American League. Perfect. Cool. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming in. This has been really helpful. Um, you Getting to know you a little bit more. Good. So I uh, appreciate your time today and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You and too. For everybody listening, thank you for joining us and listening in today. Um, please stay tuned for updates on our next podcast episode and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. 